for Friday, November 8th. This is The Weekly. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. She has known President Trump for more than a decade, managed his campaign during the final months of the 2016 election, and is now one of the original West Wing staffers in the White House. We sit down with Counselor Kellyanne Conway, discussing the political tone in Washington, the 2020 elections, trade, the economy, and North Korea. But we begin with the story dominating D.C. and the country, impeachment. With the House of Representatives now moving to open hearings, President Trump would be the third occupant of the White House to be impeached. My first question, is he prepared? Is the White House prepared? We stand prepared and ready for almost any antic that the Trump haters and detractors uh, would throw his way because we've been dealing with this for literally years now. It's very unfortunate that 15 short minutes after President Trump was sworn into office on January 20th, 2017. Within 15 minutes of that, the Washington Post ran a headline, and now impeachment begins. And it just tells you the type of incessant, insidious, and impossibly unfair way that the president has been treated. And it really just, people should realize that for any other president, Steve, this would be getting in the way of executing on an agenda for America. It doesn't get in his way, obviously. The econ- the economy is robust. The wage growth for blue-collar workers, the manufacturing jobs, the unemployment rates for everyone across the board. But truly, people in manufacturing, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, women, and what the president has done with the, the judicial system, the courts, as Leader McConnell said the other night in Kentucky, two short days, a couple short days ago, he said no one has ever reformed the federal judiciary, in the nation of the history the way President Trump has. So he keeps plotting forward. Um, But let's back up a moment and talk about impeachment. Not a single Republican joined the Democrats in the impeachment inquiry vote last week because they see this as partisan. They see this as political. They see this as being done where you grow mushrooms in dark secret you know, spooky chambers in the basement of the bowels of the United States Congress instead of transparently and openly in front of the American people so that we can follow along. Uh, Number two, Nancy Pelosi has belied and betrayed her own words. In March of this year, she insisted that impeachment must be overwhelmingly bipartisan and within the public's appetite to proceed. Uh, Not only was it not bipartisan, the bipartisanship was on the side of the no votes to proceed with the impeachment inquiry, where a couple of Democrats joined with all of the Republicans to say they didn't believe that it should move forward. Impeaching a president is an extraordinary event in our constitutional democracy. As you correctly point out, Steve, it's only been done a few times in our nation's history. There is no one who's not blinded by their partisanship or their hate who, or I guess their own misery, who says with a straight face to you, the president will be removed from office, that there are 67 votes in the United States Senate to remove him from office. And so one must ask oneself, what are we doing? Where is the impeachable offense? What are the high crimes and misdemeanors here? Uh, Nancy Pelosi was told by the cable news cranks and the Twitter trolls, well, there will be eight quid pro quos. 
he very clearly asks, investigate Joe Biden. He's my 2020 political rival, and I'm worried about him. Get, get, get him out of there. Where is that in the call? It's not in the call. Well, let's go to that call on July 25th. What was it all about? What was the basis of the call? Because we've heard the, the new testimony from Ambassador Sondland, who revised his testimony. So what was the premise of the call? The short answer to your question about the July 25th call is read the transcript. The irony is, and the unusual situation we are all in, Steve, is that everybody, and I mean everybody in the world, has access to the transcript of that call. So we know what the call was about. The call was about President Trump calling President Zelensky of Ukraine to congratulate him in the parliamentary elections. He had previously called him and congratulated him in his own election. So months later, July 25th, the day after, the day after Bob Mueller testified to Congress, which we all know was not a bombshell, it was a bomb as was the Mueller report ultimately in terms of taking out this president and showing conspiracy and and affecting election results. That's all been a big bomb. So the very next day, President Trump has a call scheduled with President Zelensky to congratulate him about these elections. And they start talking, President Zelensky starts talking about, hey, I learned from you. I'm draining the swamp here in Ukraine. I ran on against corruption. I won. I succeeded. And they start talking, President Trump says, and we've been helping you. We're very helpful to you. President Linsky says, well, you have been, unlike Macron and Merkel and other people, aren't as helpful as the United States of America. And they go on and they talk about uh, different things. And at some point, the president says, hey, people are talking about Joe Biden and his son. You're darn right they were, Steve Scully. They were talking about Joe Biden and his son. So that call is July 25th. On April 1st, the Hill newspaper had an article about Hunter Biden. May 1st, the New York Times wrote about Hunter Biden and his father running for president. That may be problematic. May 12th, CNN's John King talked about it on his daily show on CNN. And then CNN sent out a tweet quoting John King saying, listen, it's fair game to ask about Hunter Biden's dealings in the Ukraine and abroad now that his father is running for president. June 20th, I mean, a four-line headline by Tom Yamas in ABC News. C-SPAN covered. Everybody was, the president is absolutely correct to say, quote, Joe Biden, his son, everybody's talking about it. They were talking about it. And uh, Joe, Joe Biden's son, Hunter himself, told ABC News last month, Steve, that he knows that if his last name weren't Biden, he probably wouldn't have gotten those contracts. So this is the day after Mueller testifies, which means it's, Two plus years after the Mueller investigation started, we've spent $35 million. We went through two plus years of this, uh, really disrupted, if not ruined, some lives. And we came up with nothing in terms of conspiracy and moving election results and collusion, whatever the heck that is, and removing the president. None of that happened. And people are faulting President Trump for the very next day wanting to ask anybody to get to the bottom of what really happened in 2016. Everybody else is allowed to do that for two plus years, disrupting his presidency, and he's not allowed to ask, hey, I heard about this thing, CrowdStrike 2016. President Trump never mentioned 2020. He never mentioned Joe Biden, some spooky, scary political rival that he was worried about. Joe Biden was in Iowa again recently this past weekend, and he thought he was in Ohio. He keeps confusing two states. Well, he did correct himself right away. Oh, but when we do that, it lives forever anyway. So, uh, but look, the, the president, there was no, he never, there was no quid pro quo. How do we know that? Because the Ukrainian president has since said, I had no idea if aid was being held up. And we got the aid. And one presumes they're using the aid. 
President Obama was like the my pillow guy for Ukraine. He was sending them blankets and 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 pillows and sleepwear practically. But for President Trump, Ukraine wouldn't have this level of aid. So they got the aid. They're using the aid. The Ukrainian president says, "I had no idea if aid was being held up." Oh, and I felt no pressure whatsoever. And president Trump has said there was no quid pro quo. If you look at page 106 of the Sondland testimony, the original testimony, he says, I called President Trump and I cut to the chase and said, what do you want from Ukraine? And President Trump said, I quote, want them to do what they said they were going to do, what he ran on. There's no quid pro quo. He could have said to his ambassador, you know what I want them to do? I want them to investigate Joe Biden. I want them to investigate Hunter Biden. I want them to investigate. He didn't say that. He said, I want them to do what they said they were going to do, what they ran on, which is corruption, root out corruption. Let me follow up on one point, and then I want to move to other issues, reminding our listeners we are talking with Kellyanne Conway, Counselor to the President here at the White House. What we're hearing from some Senate and House Republicans is that even if there was a quid pro quo, and I'm saying if, that it doesn't rise to the level of impeachment. Is that a fair defense? That's a very fair defense, and the people making it matter because this is a congressional undertaking. So ultimately, the members of Congress and indeed the United States senators will decide whether we are going to remove a democratically elected president of the United States, remove him at all, let alone with less than a year to go before the next election. Steve, the reason that some of those members of uh, Congress are saying that is high crimes and misdemeanors is a very high burden. Impeaching a president is an extraordinary activity that should not be taken light, undertaken lightly. And people who say, well, it's solemn and this is harmful, this is hurtful today, go roll the tape. They've been talking about it for a long time. Uh, at least, I mean, Maxine Water, page 45, and page 45, it's like her tagline. And this woman's in charge of the Financial Services Committee. I mean, this is scary stuff. You had the, the other guy who, the, the congressman who introduced the impeachment resolution, going then going on TV and admitting, he said, the only way to get rid of President Trump is through impeachment. Can't get rid of him otherwise. You have foul-mouthed What's her name? Rashida Tlaib saying, and I told my son, who was five years old, proud to tell us all, I told my son we're going to impeach the MFR. Wow, mother of the year. So let's not pretend that this hasn't been the, not just the resolution, but the solution and the goal of so many of these Democrats who never saw a President Donald Trump coming and have been trying to get rid of him ever since. And what does it say about their 2020 field? If I were a 2020 Democrat, I'd be hopping mad at Pelosi and Schiff and the rest of this Motley crew. They're getting in the way of their messaging. They're getting in the way of actually taking out Donald Trump at the ballot box. They can't get any oxygen anymore. The Democrats had a gun, God knows what they called it, but they had a gun forum in Las Vegas, Nevada, hosted by MSNBC in this last month after the impeachment inquiry was started. It got no coverage. They they were there and back before anybody even noticed. But a month before that, all we heard about was guns, 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 guns. They the lemmings always move to where they think they can they can get the president. The Democrats where they can get the president. And frankly, most of the reporters move to where they think they can get the president. Not get the story, but get the president. And so people have to be a little bit more honest here. I'd like folks to pull up that transcript and show me. Circle 2020, circle quid pro quo, circle pressure, circle c- circle where the president is talking about Joe Biden in the context of his political rival. Steve, you cannot get further insulation and protection because you are from investigation because you are running for president. If anything, the scrutiny should be higher. 
The, the presumption here is that Joe Biden and his son should be protected more because Biden's not running for president in 2020. That's, that doesn't make any sense to the average voter. It's like, no, no, no. I want to know everything there is to know that's relevant to my vote. We have Joe Biden. We, the country, has Joe Biden on tape in January 2018 bragging in front of the Council of Foreign Relations about holding up a billion dollars, one billion dollars worth of of monies uh, to Ukraine until they would agree to fire a prosecutor who was investigating a company that his son, uh, who has no energy experience, and Biden has no energy, uh, investigate, drop, you know, fire the prosecutor. He said, I- I'm going to be here for 90 more minutes. My plane will be on the ground 90 more minutes. If you don't believe me, call Barack. You know, he's laughing about it. He's laughing about but holding he, up aid. But he is saying that that came not only from the Obama White House, but also from European allies that wanted this person out. Right. And the, he's vice president of the United States. And he, he was representing our country at that moment. And he was crowing and bragging in front of the Council of Foreign Relations. By the way, I wish we could see the reverse camera and see who at CFR was laughing at it. I'd love to see that. I'll have to work on that today. Note to self. Uh, or maybe C-SPAN has the footage. But he's representing the United States of America when he says, if you don't believe me, call Barack. He didn't say, oh, and call Theresa May or call the, U- uh, call, um, the EU or call the president of Italy. He said... I'm going to be on the ground for 90 more minutes. And if, as far as I can tell, no other head of state in Europe could be wrong. No other number one and number two in Europe at the time had a, a child who sat on the board of a company that was being investigated. Um, and no other child, no other leader's adult kid was running around China uh, getting money like that either. Maybe they were. And by the way, I don't even care what they were doing. I care very much that it was being done here in the United States of America. That is the swamp. I mean, the Bidens were the Loch Ness monsters of the swamp. You mentioned political rhetoric. And, and I want to ask you on both sides, when the president calls some of his opponents, quote, human scum, and you talk about the rhetoric on the Democratic side, how do both sides get beyond this in 2020? Because there are issues like USMCA in which this White House wants to see Congress pass. He will need to work with Democrats to get that done. I remain very concerned about the discourse online and offline in this country. Um, President Trump didn't start it, and President Trump is one of any number of people who takes to Twitter or talks publicly uh, using certain words. Um, I can't believe what people think they should and could say online, but particularly about the president and his closest advisors or his family. Um, it's it's unhinged, but some of it's downright threatening. And so, are both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue at fault? Well, I think the country that let's not let's just certainly listen. Certainly, people can tone down some of the rhetoric. Um, but you know, the president has always said that he's a counterpuncher. He he actually never really takes the first shot. He rarely does. If you go back and read his tweets or listen to him, it's after people are punching him. Um, So in the case of Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, for example, I would never question his patriotism, but I do question his, quote, interpretation of the said call because why is that relevant? He requested certain things to be changed in the transcript. Those requests were rejected and the New York Times and Washington Post subsequently reported that his specific request would not have fundamentally changed what the lawmakers think about the call or what they learned about that call. Um, his interpretation 
is exactly that. We don't impeach presidents of the United States and remove them from office based on a staffer's interpretation or an, an ambassador's, quote, presumption or somebody else's belief um, if they don't know for sure. But in terms of civility, I'm for more of it. But boy, I turned off my notifications on Twitter when we got here three, three, about three and a half years ago, and it changed my life, or two and a half years ago. It changed my life because people are just mean. And I don't know what has every, everybody so miserable. I tell my kids, pray for them. What is everybody so miserable? It can't possibly be Donald J. Trump only. Some people have been marinating in their misery for years, if not decades. And they feel like they just have to, they have to like pop a vein every day publicly. It's bizarre. Um, I choose to live my life offline, not live my life online. But I'm really struck by how many people basically live their life online. That The way they spend their time uh, is, is truly remarkable to me. Let me turn to two real quick issues. First of all, deficit spending this year will approach a trillion dollars. If the president is reelected, how do you bring that spending under control? What has to happen? Well, the president would like to bring the spending under control, but so many programs are already in there that are very expensive that have price tags on them that if the president were to even suggest, as he has, Steve, hey, we can probably trim a little bit here or still be able to meet our – accomplish our mission set, as goes that budgetary item. But she, it's like he's cutting school lunches. He hates poor people. He wants to throw grandma off the cliff. I mean people are just so dishonest, not even disingenuous, so dishonest about what a – slimming down of a certain line item would mean. And also, this is a president who has who has finally invested the resources and the respect that our military deserve. He has made sure our military is fully funded. That's not cheap. And that was not done. And so he will continue to do that. He, for three consecutive budgets now, has made sure the military has received north of $700 billion. And I would challenge anybody to tell me that that's not a worthwhile Expenditure. He's also said that he's not touching entitlements, um, and that is obviously a very large piece of our federal budget, the largest, if you combine them all together. USMCA, it's a big issue that you want to see pass in yes. the House. Will it Will it come up next year? You should ask Nancy Pelosi that question. Uh, we would love the Speaker to put it on a calendar. She's so busy allowing resolutions condemning a tweet to go through in July or June, whenever that was, or, or impeaching the president, impeachment inquiry, the American people see the way their Congress is spending its time and our money as a nation. They don't like it. I saw a morning consult poll just today that showed support for the impeachment inquiry has, has declined, seven, seven, plummeted by seven points in three short weeks. And that's as we have all these reports, bombshell, White House engulfed in crisis. And people want to know, well, what have you got? What is this about? Is this the same thing that we've been hearing all this time? So the USMCA is such a critical piece of legislation, and we need Nancy Pelosi to schedule a vote on it. The president is ready to sign it into law. He's been ready for over a year. And the USMCA modernizes NAFTA, has been agreed to by the United States, Mexico, and Canada, Steve, it would be help for the farmers, help for the manufacturers, help for the workers. And it and it, it really brings us into the 21st century, if you would, on trilateral trade for North America. And, uh, and she should schedule a vote. It's really up to her. We are talking with Kellyanne Conway in the White House. A final political question, because you are a pollster at heart. As you look at the results on Tuesday, one area of concern, even among Republicans, is the suburban vote, looking at 2020. How do you address that? 
Well, the president has to convey his message to everyone that a rising tide lifts all boats, that we have a phenomenal, if not unprecedented, modern times economy that has helped so many people not just have job availability or job security where they are, Steve, but job mobility. It gives people more choice, more freedom to get a job that maybe has better benefits or is closer to home or allows them to job share or connects with the rest of their lives. I mean, we These unbelievable unemployment numbers uh, among African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, Asian-Americans, women, blue-collar workers, their wages are on the rise. We've brought manufacturing back. Construction is no longer flat on its back. Mining, um, warehousing, all of this, all of the uh, numbers point upward when it comes to job growth and wage growth. That's important. So that's economic. I would also say that the president has allowed small business owners and employees to not just survive but thrive under his leadership. So it's a it's a fewer regulations, more economic growth. So many women in this country have done and are doing and would like to do what I did, which is be a female business owner. I did it for 21 years. And it is so rewarding and allows you to look at your life, allows women to look at their lives and say, do I want to stay in the traditional work track or can I actually convert a passion or a skill set into a full-blown income-producing, profit-producing business. And under this president's leadership, more women can and are doing that, particularly women of color. We also have to make sure that women understand everything the president's done about public safety. We're no longer attacking the police, as previous administration officials were. We're supporting them. We're making sure that our law enforcement is respected and resourced. What this president has done on our nation's drug crisis, which has affected every suburban, rural, and urban area in this country— He and the First Lady and other administration officials making this a central focus of our administration's efforts has meant that the overdose deaths are down 5.1% across the board. Largest decline, Steve, since 1990 in three decades. But the decline in places in the suburbs of places like Ohio down 24%, Pennsylvania down 23%. I want the people in the suburbs in Bucks County and Delaware County and Chester County, where it was a good night for Democrats this past Tuesday, I want them to know firsthand that the president's efforts are bringing down the drug deaths in their communities, are increasing the number of people who are in treatment and recovery and back in the workplace and in housing and away from the drugs. I wanted to know because of this president, there are fewer people languishing on drugs and there are fewer people languishing in jail long after they've paid their debt to society and have been cleared to reassimilate into society. I want them to know that because of this president, we have a judiciary that isn't making up the laws that goes along, but interpreting it. And those spots on the judiciary filled at a, at, a, at, a, at a greater clip. And I want them to know that when he sits down with people like Chairman Kim of North Korea, Vladimir Putin of President Putin of Russia, um, he's talking to be all over the globe, it's because he's trying to keep nuclear arms from growing and from being more readily available to the wrong people. Will there be another summit with Chairman Kim? Possibly. There's nothing on the books right now, possibly. I think the president, though, is very focused on keeping this economy humming and and, and moving at a pace that is unseen. He'll give a big speech to the New York Economic Club next Tuesday in New York. He had given a big speech three years ago promising 3% 3% plus growth, promising a massive tax cut, promising less regulation, promising energy to become an energy, a net energy producing country. And indeed, we are for the first time in American history, Steve, we have 
this country is a net producer of oil and natural gas. That's big. And you've got the Democrats promising to ban fossil fuels. Hello, soccer suburban mom. That means no gas for you. And then we got the real crazies on the left trying to ban all kinds of gas, all kinds of cows, all kinds of cow gas. Uh, this doesn't make sense to the average person in the suburbs. And we just have to make sure that they know the truth. Okay, so prediction. Who do you think the Democrats will nominate? I don't know. Uh, they've got they've got their choice of a few socialists. They have their their choice of a few uh, people in their seventies who seem it seem every minute of seventy something. Um, they, but I think that what has happened will remain true. That President Trump's success at the ballot box and as president, Steve, has really forced the Democrats to disrupt and change their business model. Their electoral business model has always been, let's elevate and indeed elect the fresh faces, the new blood, the energetic young people who maybe they've been in politics, but just for a little while. They're still outsiders to Washington. Bill Clinton, JFK, Barack Obama, even Jimmy Carter, a young 52-year-old governor and former peanut farmer from Georgia when he got to Washington. And now they've stuck with Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden. You know, they, they are the swamp. They're swamp. They're swampy creatures. And the Democrats feel the way to defeat Donald Trump is by showing who's got more experience, who's more establishment, who's got higher name ID and deep pockets. It failed majestically and spectacularly and historically against with Hillary Clinton. And I would predict it would again with Joe Biden. Joe Biden made a big mistake the day he announced. He, instead, he, he sent out a video announcement. Uh, about Charlottesville and some other nonsense uh, that he was lying about. Instead of just going to the Midwest and making five stops, go to Pennsylvania, Ohio, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Michigan, five states that Obama-Biden won twice, and now Trump-Pence won. And go there and say, hey, you know, it's an aberration. Uh, We hear you. Hillary didn't hear you. I hear you. And I want your vote. So that's their problem. I don't know who they'll nominate. I suspect the media will try to crown, crown some other prince or princess on the way up and say, oh, don't forget. And we know it's uh, Sanders and, and Warren and Biden right now, but don't forget about Buttigieg or Harris or um, Castro, pick a card, any card. But I am, re- I am just amazed as who's been squeezed out of the race already. It's amazing that Kirsten Gillibrand, I'm, I'm running for women's empowerment, gone. Jay Inslee, two-term governor of Washington State. I'm running on climate change, gone. Eric Swallow, I'm running on gun control, gone. A John Hinkenlooper, two-term governor of a swing state, Colorado. Successful two-term governor, worked with Republicans across the aisle, was here at the White House a few times to work together on issues like workforce development, gone. Uh, Beto O'Rourke, I'm born for this. Vanity Fair cover, really just a vanity project, done, gone. So it is remarkable to see that the Democrats still can't figure out how to beat Donald Trump at the ballot box. And isn't that what this impeachment inquiry is truly about? We don't, we didn't know how to defeat him last time. We don't know how to defeat him next time. So we'll try to get rid of him in the interim. And Democrats will have a lot of explaining to do, particularly those 31 Democratic members of Congress who sit in districts that Trump Pence carried in 2016 that they won in 2018. They are imperiled. The Democrat, the Republicans only need to flip 18 or 19 House seats to get back the House. And then it's 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 gangbusters for this president to uh, pass to keep to keep executing on a strong economy, and keep executing on things like trade agreements through the Congress. Let me conclude one final, very brief question, a personal question. At some point, you will leave the White House. Have you thought about what you want to do next? 
I've thought about it, but not deeply because I feel so blessed to walk into this building every single day and be one small molecule that serves this country that I love so much. It's been so great to all of us and to make good on the oath I took to the Constitution. So for me, it's it's an unexpected pleasure, Steve. We've talked about this previously. It's an unexpected gift in my life to be a public servant in my 50s for the first time. Never saw that coming. Never anticipated that. But when I when I meet the people in the military, the veterans, when I, I went to the uh, rally in Kentucky with the president the other night, and I see the, the love out there for this president, for those of us around him, and it's love based on substance. It's love based on thank you so much for being proud to kneel for the Lord, to stand for the flag, and to say so. Thank you so much for being a proud pro-lifer working in that White House and for guiding a pro-life president. Thank you so much for finding the balance between the Second Amendment right to bear arms and public safety. Um, thank you for breaking the back of the opioid crisis where Kentucky's a very hard-hit state. Um, we still have babies not making it and not or, or, or really struggling when they take their first breaths of life in some counties, some areas of Kentucky. They're born with neonatal abstinence syndrome. The First Lady herself was on the road in Boston this very week um, bringing more attention, raising more attention, which will raise more money for that. So I've thought about it, but only a little bit. My first thought every morning and and when I go to bed every night are about my four children and really their future is most important to me. Uh, and, and so, but I, but that'll take care of itself. I love my work here. And when people ask, well, what do you, so many people have left most, by the way, involuntarily, Steve, uh, but so many people have left, you know, why are you so many involuntary? Why are you still there? I think the question is really for the people who left and not for me, who's been here since day one. Um, if you have a relationship with the president, you understand the way he likes to make decisions. He likes to be fully briefed on everything. He enjoys people of dissenting viewpoints and differing backgrounds. Um, but in many ways, my story is unique to me, but in many ways, my story is very common to many Americans raised by a single mom in a very unconventional household, no political conversations that I can recall, um, worked really hard as a small business owner all those years, certainly was excluded by the old boys network sometimes in my party, but never to the point where um, I felt that I could not succeed and thrive. And given a wonderful opportunity, not once but twice, by Donald J. Trump, who, for whom it is natural to elevate women into positions of power. He did it at, He did it in Trump real estate. He did it at the Trump organization. He did it at the Trump campaign. He does it in the Trump White House, the Trump cabinet, the Trump administration. And I am grateful to President Trump and Vice President Pence every single day for at least giving me the opportunity to serve this country. And beyond that, as the president might say, we'll see what happens. Kellyanne Conway, joining us from the White House, Counsel to the President, we thank you for being with us. Thank you, Steve, and to your listeners. And a reminder, this podcast is available on the free C-SPAN radio app, on the web at cspan.org, or wherever you download your favorite podcast. We thank you for listening. <laughs>